to Sluts and Scholars, where we strive to make your sex smarter and your smart sexier. I'm Nicoletta. And I'm Simone. And today we have joining us Hudzi Han. Hello. Oh, we're so happy you're here. So for those of you who don't know who Ms. Han is. You should, though. You should. She is an internationally well-known kink lifestyle educator and switch who's appeared on BuzzFeed's The Try Guys, Try BDSM, Playboy Radio, Jason Ellis Show, Straight Talk with Ross Matthews. She's been in Cosmo and Playboy. She's been on E! She's been, and even on Storage Wars. So <laughs> she's pretty impressive. Uh, what she does is she is the headmistress in charge of education, special events, and red camera coverage with the stockroom. And the stockroom is actually one of the original online sex toy companies and it has a brick and mortar location in Los Angeles. Um, Hudzi's also the special events coordinator at Bar Sinister in Hollywood. Which is super fun. Super fun. Uh, we'll have a field trip, a Sluts and Scholars field trip there. Um, and Ms. Han is a proud and active ally of various sex positive communities and also coaches couples and individuals looking to expand their kink education. <laughs> Woo! Wow. I, you are so incredibly accomplished. Well, you said heard from a friend that she's a great teacher. Oh, that's <laughs> a so wonderful nice. teacher. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, love, I love being here. No problem. It's going to be great. Um, and actually, I just want to talk about what we're wearing since that's very important. And Hudzi brought us this really cute little latex combo. And I'm currently wearing an amazing collar that says slut, slut. on it. And I can't wait to wear this every day for the rest of got my it. life. We and also I, got a yes. pair of latex double ears. When they're both from the stockroom, the Siren Boutique on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. So you can get the slut collar and the latex devil oh. horns on stockroom.com. So you weren't you telling me? Sorry? Weren't you telling me that they've done some amazing outfits for different shows and oh, things like that? Yes. Stockroom uh, created the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman outfit made out of siren latex. They also did the costume for the Rubber Man in American Horror Story the first season. Oh, he was so sexy. Yeah. And they, they've been on, um, recently they've been on television as well doing Westworld. Awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. All the and robot fixers. Yeah. Lots of different shows they're on. That's so yeah. cool. That is so cool. Also, because we are slutty scholars, we're also going to be referring to the article that you may or may not have read as your homework. The article is BDSM Disclosure and Stigma Management, Identifying Opportunities for Sex Education by Bezre Weinberg and Edgar. Um, if you didn't get a chance to read that yet and want to take a quick pause before continuing the podcast, you can pause that and look at the link below. Do your homework. Do your homework. Um, so, so yeah, we are super happy to have you here. And for those of you who don't know you and your story, I know that you're actually doing somewhat of like a play about it, but I would love to explore and tell our listeners a little bit about your journey into BDSM because it's such an amazing story. <laughs> okay, well, let's see. This happened in 2005. I was getting a divorce and I was feeling very lonely and a friend told me about Craigslist. So here I was working my day job, which was at Disneyland. I was a singer at Disneyland, so I was working with rock bands for a very long time at the park. And so I would sing. I was doing shows during the day, and then at night I would check out the Internet. And instead of, like, getting over my marriage, I was, you know, kind of looking online. And one night I got home from work, and there was a note from a guy. I'd answered his ad. His ad had said, uh, drinks tonight, come on over, no expectations. Was come spelled C-O-M-E or C-U-M? No, but he spelled very badly, and then he would do it in all caps. <laughs> 
<laughs> this and is was, Craigslist 2005. And to this day, he still has an ad up there. Every once in a while, I go see if I type in a couple keywords, and the same, same ad guy. with somewhat updated photos comes up. This was 2005. Wow, yeah. that is commitment. Yeah, he's he's he makes it. He's got it working for some reason. I mean, why change you know the formula if it isn't broken? So yeah. so yeah. So I answered his ad. I thought I was just going to meet some hot guy and get busy, and I go over to his house at 1 a.m. like a crazy person. Good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never sold my oats. Did you tell so anyone was, where you were going? I told my one friend, Jeff. Okay. I, I let him know. I gave him the address. And, Good safety thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I knew out. that. I knew that much, you know, to at least give a phone number, address, whatever. So mm-hmm. I went over there at one in the morning. He opens the door. He's just as gorgeous as his photo. And I go into his house thinking, you know, we're eventually going to have sex or something. And he proceeds to do this very strange interview of me um, and testing my boundaries. You know, things like... When was your last relationship? And uh, spread your legs. And, and and these things that were sitting at his dining table. And he's talking to me in such a way that I didn't know at the time that I was responding as a submissive would. And I didn't know he was a dom. And within the next two hours, I had my first what we'll call a play scene where he topped me and I bottomed. And we didn't actually have physical sex during the three months I hung out with him. But... I did feel like I was having sex because here we were doing a power exchange where he was the dom and I was the sub and I was learning all these different things. Like I was getting flogged. I was getting spanked. You know, he's pouring wine in a bowl and I'm drinking it like a dog and and all these different things that we did were the beginning of my foundation of BDSM. BDSM. When did you realize that you were into it, that you liked it or had you explored um, before? um, No, I didn't even know what it was. Did he I, say anything about BDSM in the no. ad? And he was actually a really, really unsafe, misogynistic dom. He he wasn't, he didn't really know what he was doing. But what was great about it is that I got a taste of it and realized how much I liked it, uh, like from the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember driving home in what we call in the community a sub frenzy where I, I was just high from the experience. I, I hadn't had any drugs. I'd had like maybe Which a for lots of people, of you shouldn't drive until you kind right. of come down from that. Well, that's what I'm saying. He he didn't do aftercare. He had no idea what he was doing. He was just a guy that, you know, had a flogger, you know, and 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 an wanted idea. to use it. Yeah, yeah. And he used it really badly. But I'm thankful that I met him or I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about this. I wouldn't have a so career for, in this. For those know? of our listeners who know absolutely nothing about the BDSM mm-hmm. community. This is not the safest route no. to approach. Oh, no, no. I was I was in the middle of heartbreak um, no, going through sure. divorce, but I was acting out. You oh, know, just, we've all been there. Oh, yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, so but even though it was um, not the safest or healthiest first experience or first dynamic I could have had, I look at it like I knew it was bad. I knew that I liked it, but I didn't like him. Mm-hmm. And I needed to figure out how to go about meeting the right people and getting in the right community and learning how to do this correctly and safely. And, you know, I'm I'm thankful I went through it, but it was, there were times it was really scary and really unsafe. So for people who are listening who have no idea uh, mm-hmm. anything about BDSM, maybe they've read or seen Fifty Shades, but that's really it. So how would you define dom and sub? And then in your bio, you said you're, we refer to you as a switch, right. if we can just establish yeah. the I'm like the bisexual of, of kinksters. Um, <laughs> so a dom, dom or top, sir, master, mistress, miss, Matt, you know, any name that you can come up with uh, where someone is the top role, they're in charge, they're the one that is conducting the scene or the dynamic uh, all within a negotiation, though. So the sub, the bottom, 
uh, the slave, you know, whatever word you come up with that applies to you the best, you are the one who is receiving or being given that role, but you choose it. So nothing, nothing that's happening hasn't been agreed to. That's, that's the safety rule. So you would have a negotiation between the top and the bottom, the dom and the sub, the master, the slave, whatever it is. Uh, you talk about everything you're interested in, everything you want to try, everything you don't want to try. Um, what are your hard limits? Like some people love getting spanked. Some people might have a bad reaction if they were spanked or smacked as a child, if they had an abusive parent, mm -hmm. if something bad happened to them, they may not want to get hit. Because BDSM doesn't have to be about hitting or pain. A lot of my favorite BDSM interactions, whether I'm top or bottom, has been emotional and, uh, you know, mental, mm -hmm. uh, sensual. I haven't particularly liked getting hit really hard or pinched really hard or bit for that matter. I'm all about the interaction of the emotion. So my sub side has always been more about the connection emotionally, you know, so everybody's different. And BDSM stands for, I'm hoping I'm getting this right, uh, Bondage and discipline, domination and submission, and then sadomasochism. Yeah, so, the, I mean, a lot of people break it down. So the B is bondage. Uh, the D is dominance. Uh, the S is, you can say, sadomasochism or slave or submission. And, you know, the last one, of course, we already covered, masochism. So it, but a lot of it has broadened because— And I think now it's, it's more using just the word kink, and it kind of— Well, but kink can also mean someone's fetish. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, I was seeing a man recently who wasn't really submissive, but his fetish or kink was feet. So, but Super he was, common one. Yeah, but he was not submissive. He didn't want to be called a slave or crawling around on the floor or anything like that. But he did like to be at your feet, you know, but that was it. You know? Yeah, and definitely in, in the article it mentions how kink is kind of like an in-group way to refer to like being part of the community. Like, oh, I'm like talking about kink is like if you're a practitioner, that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of what you say, which I thought was like an interesting way to, to think about it as well. I don't exactly. know. Yeah. But so, yeah, Nicoletta, you were about to ask about how Hadzi embarked on the journey or how the proper way. Oh, how, to, oh yeah, how should Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say the proper way. I think there's so many ways to go about it. And it sounds lucky that you had what you took from this experience. But for people listening who haven't gotten into it or who are curious, what are some ways that they can kind of get started in the safest way? The safest way to get started, I in my opinion, is to find your local community. And we have what's called munches, where you can look on FetLife.com, you can look in your area and find out what kind of groups gather in your area. Let's say you want to meet uh, other female submissives or other male dominants. You can actually go online and find groups, munches, where you can get to know people without any commitment of going to a play party or a dungeon. Mm. Um, so you meet people that, are, that have the similar wants as you? So you would meet other... So if you identify as a submissive, you'd go meet other submissives. You wouldn't go meet dominance at a munch. I would suggest if, if you feel like you have submissive fantasies and you want to meet dominant people, perhaps you should go to some munches first, meet other people like yourself, get some advice about the area. You know, um, I've met many people who are new to L.A. and they reach out to me because they find me through a city search. And I'll tell them, oh, well, if, if you want to learn from other male dominance because you want to be a male dom or you're saying you're male dom, then why don't you go watch... Uh, my friend Lucifer or my friend Entropy. And you can or, see Lucifer on some recent videos that I did on my Staying on Top channel. Yeah. He's an awesome dom located in L.A. And and he has a good heart and he's not out to claim anyone for his own. He really just loves the lifestyle and loves, you know, the healing aspects of it that I do as well. And, you know, I recommend 
that you find someone that you want to mentor with, someone you want to be like or learn from or serve. And being of service to someone doesn't mean you have to have sex with them, and it doesn't mean you have to give them money. Uh, I have one person in service to me right now who's a woman who's just a friend. I don't sexualize the relationship. I'm not saying it's wrong to, but I just like to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And she does things to help me out with tasks I need done. And in exchange, I teach her how to flog or how to negotiate a play scene or just get her in and, uh, free as an assistant to Stockholm University where I help curate and teach. You know, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of ways you can help someone who's looking into this without objectifying them or sexualizing them. You know, mm-hmm. there is something to being a student for a while and really figuring out how do you identify and what is it you want? Why do you want to be into BDSM? Why are you kinky? Mm. Explore that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it. It's just figuring out why you are the way you are or why you have these fantasies or desires and then finding the right avenue to explore it safely, sanely, and consensually. Yeah. So how did you get from creepy Craigslist guy to <laughs> where you're at now? Very good question. Uh, so I realized he was not right. And so what I did is, this was when MySpace was big. Before, Oh my God, I still have one. Yeah, right before Facebook took over as the popular thing, I was on MySpace and I was creating my own ad on Craigslist for a um, loving dominant. And this girl wrote me and she said, oh my God, like, how are you weeding out the crazies on Craigslist? I said, I don't know, like intuition. She's like, well, we should meet. Like, I, I would love to pick your brain. I'm, I'm in the same boat. So we started talking. She knew a guy on MySpace that she'd been talking to who was a dom. And she MySpace. said, he's not really for me, but he's really nice. You should talk to him. He has some great information. And I can't remember his name, but he was so kind. And he said, rather than snatch me up for his own and being, you know, a, a weirdo predator, he was just going to tell me I needed to read SM 101 by Jay Wiseman. And then I needed to go to Passive Arts at the time, which was by the Los Angeles airport, which is now called Sanctuary LAX. Yeah. And he said, you just need to go to those places and and observe the people that are there and make some friends. What is Sanctuary LAX? The Sanctuary LAX is one of the clubs in LA that people can go to for play parties. Uh, It's also um, a dungeon where you can work. But I was going there just to make friends. And that was where it exploded for me because I went to a couple play parties on a Saturday night made met rusa for that night uh like just met amazing people that were all there just to network and get to know one another what's a play party so a play party uh can be whatever you make it you can have one at your house or you can go to a play space or a dungeon and go to one uh basically people all they're super fun yeah super fun <laughs> everybody shows up with a toy bag of goodies you know they're floggers they're their uh, blindfolds, whatever they're into, their rope. Like a kinky potluck. A kinky <laughs> potluck, yeah. Except you're the potluck item. Yeah, and, sometimes. Uh, so yeah. If, okay, so if you're not a dom, you just bring yourself. Yes. I mean, it, basically a play party. You don't have to have a role when you get there. It's more about just, like I said, mingling, making new friends, observing scenes, which would be two people or more agreeing to carry out, you know, anything from five minutes to an hour. Uh, like, okay, I'm going to do a rope scene and you tie someone up or I'm going to do a flogging scene. Or like with me, I like to, when I first play with someone, I just use my body and I don't use any toys. So I just, like I'm doing a class soon called Touch on Myself, Touch on Yourself called Toys, where you just get to know the person for the first time by reading their energy and you become the toy bag. You know, so you could do that at a play party. So I love that idea. Yeah. But yeah. no, I'm so excited to hear this presentation. <laughs> I want to go to this class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's called Toys, Touch on Yourself. Uh, but, you know, play party, you don't have to play. A lot of it is about 
watching other people play and learning. And you learn something from a good scene and a bad scene. And that's like the best education ever. Hopefully if you can separate that out. So what, like what's good, what's bad. So you got to. Yeah, exactly. So or making, I mean, I think that's subjective, but you can watch with like an interested, curious eye, but also informed to see, well, I like that. I didn't like mm-hmm. this. Like informing yourself. Yeah. I mean, one of the huge rules that most play spaces, play parties or dungeons is to not talk during people's scenes. You know, everyone has a great amount of respect for uh, people involved in a scene. It's kind of like being at the theater. Yeah, well, you're you know? calling it a scene. I think yeah. that's so interesting. Use, yeah, I mean, it's different if you're working, then it's a session, you know, because you're taking amount of money for an hour. But if if you're with someone you're interacting with just for your own pleasurable purpose, then mm-hmm. it's a scene. It's play. Yeah, it's so, play. Yeah. Um, getting back to the the journey of Hudsey. So you go, you're making friends at Sanctuary LAX. You're meeting at Passive other, Arts at the time. Passive Arts, it, yeah. mm-hmm. now Sanctuary LAX. Um, you're making friends, you're networking, and what happens next? So, okay, well, I, I left out the fact that in 2005 is when I first met the first Dom that was, I called him a, a domo. He was a Dom in the closet because <laughs> he didn't go to any classes. He didn't have a mentor. He was crazy. From him to going to Passive Arts, it was like four and a half years. So I would try to turn my Match.com boyfriends into Doms. Mm. And I scared the crap out of most of them. That, okay, you know? so so that's so interesting that you bring this up because mm-hmm. so much of the, of the article uh, talks about disclosure and like mm-hmm. how to navigate yeah, dating how to come and out if that's something you want to do to, to, yeah, to partners. How I did you do come that? Out. I, well, because I didn't understand consent or negotiation or anything. Oh, because so, you had never been taught that. Yeah, I would tell these crazy stories to these guys and they'd be titillated. But then they would think, oh, my God, she's weird. She's crazy. She, like, let's hit it and quit it. Like, I got a lot of, you know, people that weren't really into me because I was too out there. I was too almost like a man with my sexuality. You know, mm-hmm. I know that might sound sexist, but I just mean that, you well, know, no, men, that's a, men can gonna... be a lot more, you know, uh, sexual rather than emotional. And I just really wanted to have what I had with that man, but with someone I liked, mm-hmm. someone I cared about. Yeah. And it wasn't going very well for me. So this you know? fits into our Sluts and Scholars theme mm-hmm. in that how do you feel like you were sort of either discriminated against or judged based on your sexual like fantasies or behaviors? Well, this is really interesting because I was I wrote a whole album called The Vanilla Life uh, about <laughs> my time from the first guy, the Dom, to uh, the last one I ended up with. Within a one-year period, I wrote a whole album called The Vanilla Life, and it was basically how I went from vanilla to kink. And I want to hear this. Do you still have it? Oh, my God, yeah. I'll give you a copy. Yes. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I'm going to be yeah. walking out to and that in my car. My, it was in my vanilla name, Brooke Wilkes, which I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm totally out. So Brooke Wilkes was who I was as a vanilla person. And I didn't even have the name Hudsey yet. So I'm trying to be Brooke and be kinky, and all of a sudden, all my rock shows are incorporating dog bowls and I'm crawling around on the stage while my musicians are like, God, what is she up to lately? This is like, <laughs> You're like, I'm just trying to get the message yeah. out. And I'm telling all of them my stories and they're, they're all rubbing their hands together enjoying it, but they all think I'm a little nuts, you know? So mm. I started Aren't putting it into my music. Every show I did, I was doing that. And then my vanilla friends, some who were, I was there for them when we were younger, when they would come out of the closet or they would tell me their crazy slut stories. But because I was doing BDSM, they assumed I was like getting beat or hit or that I was crazy in the head. And I remember them being like, when are you going to stop doing this? You're ruining your singing career. You're, you know, this is not cool. And and I'm worried about you. And I'm like, you realize like that I'm not doing what you think I'm doing. Mm-hmm. All of this is is a journey for me to connect with someone in the most passionate, intense way possible. And 
I now know why I really did it. Now some, what is it, uh, 12 years later. Mm -hmm. I know exactly why I was into it, but I didn't know until like two years ago. Is it something you want to share? Yeah. Uh, my father died in August of 2015. And suddenly I had an aha moment, kind of like when an alcoholic realizes why they drink. Mm. You know, I just went, wow, I have such daddy issues. And it took my dad dying for me to fully understand it and to actually embrace even more why I love BDSM. My dad never hit me. My mom never hit me. It was nothing like that. It was just that when that first dom treated me in such a way, like he would do the, the aftercare phone call the next day, even though he was kind of bad at being a good dom, he mm -hmm. still knew all the little tricks. And it was this missing ingredient from men that I really needed my whole life. Not sexual, but like that, those protocols and those checklists and the things that you do when you start venturing into BDSM with someone. Uh, I was floored by that realization when my father died. Like I loved my dad, but we weren't, clo we weren't close. Mm -hmm. My dad and I were not close and we didn't uh, really have a mother, father. I mean, I'm sorry. My dad and I did not have a Freudian father. Slip. Yeah, right. <laughs> my dad and I, my dad and I didn't have a normal uh, father-daughter relationship. I couldn't even say father-daughter just now. You know, it was more like he was the mysterious visitor mm -hmm. that would come in and out of town mm -hmm. to visit his family when he wasn't working. And that leaves a kid wanting. Yeah, and so every guy that's that I've been involved with my whole life, um, like a lot of the times, I wasn't satisfied in the relationship, but I just took the first person that would show up because I wanted so much to belong to something. Mm. And when my dad died, I went, wow, like I totally get now why I held on to being like the role of submissive for so long. And then I slowly, I found a male dom who was very fatherly, who was my age. And he helped me create Hudsi Han. And he taught me a lot. He's the one that introduced me to a lot of the community people. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for meeting him, I wouldn't have, you know, kind of created, leave, kind of leaving from Brooke to Hudsi. It's then I started working in the dungeons as a pro pro sub. Then I became a lifestyle and pro switch where I actually had my own male submissive and my own male dom. And I was starting to mentor other people. And mm -hmm. I really started to find my own inner father figure. So I started fathering hmm. myself. I think you what know? you just said is so key and important. And it's something I do in therapy with people is finding that own like good enough father, good enough mother within yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think something from the article is talking about I think a big stigma around the BDSM community is that people who are in it have issues, meaning like right. whether it's daddy issues, it's mental health issues, whatever. <laughs> and A, that's not always the case, but B, that kink and BDSM when done in a safe, sane, risk-aware, whatever, consensual way can be therapeutic mm. and can help you find this empowerment and this thing within yourself. It doesn't have to be a negative thing associated with people with issues. Like we, we all have yeah. issues. Well, but everybody has issues, whether they're vanilla or kinky. Absolutely. It's, you know, and my daddy issues was simply that my dad wasn't really around, you know? Mm. So that was my daddy issue. Yeah. You know, um, some people have daddy issues do, dealing with much more intense, you know, topics around daddy. Yeah. But mine was just simply that I was looking for someone to be the male influence I never had growing up. So I didn't have like a blueprint of what a man should be like, mm -hmm. you know, that was, I mean, that's why I really do feel that, you know, young infants, toddlers, children having male and female influences is good. I don't have any problem with same sex marriage. I'm just saying that I think it's important for people to uh, get to know all genders 
So, so do you that mean they more have like, like an idea of who people are in in their world? So like, you, what know? you mean like how a they male shape their future like, relationships? Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. like masculine energy, which yes. can come from like a biological man or woman, but it's right. that that sort of masculine it energy from, that you yeah, think come is from, come from uh, transgender men as well. You know, it's it's more about understanding all those roles and how they apply to your life and how you interact with people. Yeah. So if if I never had a father around. Of course, I'm searching for him now, mm-hmm. you know, and it was only about around when he died that I finally cemented in my heart that I must be my own dom. I must be my own parent and stop looking for something that isn't there, that doesn't, it doesn't exist. No one can fulfill me except me, you know. And, and you, that's, you created Hudsey Han. Well, and then it was so crazy Hudson, about- Which I'm so curious. So how do you, so you mentioned this like fatherly dom that you met who mentored you. Right. And then like you went from Brooke to Hudsey. So who, mm-hmm. wh- what's Hudsey? Where does the name come from? This is a and great then, story. Yeah. So I was blonde. I was always a blonde person, you know. Um, oh, yeah, so Hudsey is a fiery redhead. Super sexy. Hudsey named after Kate Hudson because when I'm blonde, I look a lot like Kate Hudson. Oh, so when the dungeon asked me what did I want my stage name to be because you're supposed to use a fake name for security reasons, I said, oh, Kate Hudson. Hudsey. And then Goldie Hawn. And then Hawn I added on as a joke after the fact when I became a pro switch pro dom because of Goldie Hawn. So Hudsey Hawn is my dominant full name. You know, but I mean, what's so funny about the the Kate and Goldie thing is that after I decided I could be my own daddy and could just take control of my own inner child, I like realized that, oh my God, like I need to really own that. And then once I really believed it, now like an ocean of men in their 20s and 30s have come into my life. I could see Because now that. they're looking it, for a daddy. They need well, a daddy too. And a mommy. You know, I have a big dick. No, I don't. <laughs> no, well, I, it's, don't it's we more, all? It's, it's in my like, bag. No, I think, I think because I, in like finding that in myself, I've now gotten in touch with my nurturing, mm-hmm. loving, maternal instinct. So I'm trying to put that to rest now because all my last couple romantic um, interactions have been much younger men. And nothing wrong with that, but I've got that figured out now. I've got it polished up and perfected, and it's time to like for create the new a new relationship. <laughs> yeah. new relationship. Yeah, no, I mean, I they've all been very dear and wonderful, but I feel like I've learned that lesson now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Mommy Hudson needs to maybe meet, you know, someone closer to her own age, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. It, it, We're taking applications if right, anyone's right, exactly. interested. Yes, yeah. you, can, you can contact us on yeah. our Sluts and Scholars Twitter. Right, right now my, my um, slutty site is... is um. What's that word? It's dormant. Yes. Dormant. Dormant. Like a yeah. volcano ready yeah. to erupt. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I love exactly. it. <laughs> um, what is a pro switch? You said that's what you are. So what does that mean? Well, I was a pro switch. Okay. Um, pro, okay. So a switch is someone who can be submissive or dominant. Mm-hmm. So if you're a pro switch at a dungeon, that means you can take clients who are submissive or clients who are dominant. So And you can go either way. And sometimes you'll go both ways in the scene. You know, oh. in the session, in the session. Um, session because there's, it's, yeah. it's work. Yeah. And I, I remember I'm learning. a lifestyle switch where I will be dominant or submissive depending on my partner. And I have the heart of a submissive. So when I meet someone, I tend to kind of create the dynamic based on the energy I'm feeling with that person. Mm-hmm. So I don't always dominate and I don't always be sub. It, so I really do feel like a lifestyle, like a real switch. A real switch. Yeah. But professionally, you're just a dom. Or not yeah, just, I, like I mean, only. well, because honestly, uh, if if anyone out there wants to be a pro sub, in my experience, just in Los Angeles, you know, you're, you're going to be the most popular one who works the most if you're the cute little young female submissive, mm-hmm. because a lot of clients are older men. You, ni- I'd say 90 for, 95% men 
uh, pay for sessions at dungeons. Uh, and they're going to want like the cute little schoolgirl that they can spank over their knee. Or, you know, if they do want the dom, she's going to be hot. She's going to be, she can be young or their age or older, but it, ha- you know, the dominance has to be there. Mm-hmm. So I find that most men who come to dungeons that are dominant want young, cutesy little girls between 18 and 30. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm in my 40s, so I'm I'm not going to try and be a pro sub at this point. It, the jig is up on that one. You know <laughs> what I mean? So it's not something I I don't feel I would be marketable as. I know I'm not. We I have encountered clients who their kink mm-hmm. is getting a female dom to submit. Oh. So I, I, I've had this great client in the past when I worked at a dungeon that um, his whole thing was he liked spanking the female doms. And if we trusted him and we knew him, then we would do it. So you, know? you would do a, se- a session with him as a dom, and then it would like reverse, and he'd be like, "Oh no, he's just like, he's a dom." So he's like, "Look, so I he just- wants to see if he can change the power wow. structure." Oh, he just very politely, really nice man, just requests it. So like, "Look, Hudson, are you are you open to to getting spanked?" And I'm like, "Sure." Are we doing a back and forth? He's like, "No, I I'm dominant. I just like the idea of spanking you because you're Hudson." I'm like, "Oh, sure. I love I that. Really, I like that idea too. Really to be honest, at it. <laughs> yeah, just thirty minutes of straight spanking." You know, and after a while, you get into that subspace. Oh, so when you were exploring all these things, were you working other types of jobs? Because I know this is more now your like your job is Hudsey, sort of. Yeah, it's, it's become weird. your profession. So were you doing a quote unquote, <laughs> as we call a vanilla job, meaning a non BDSM job? Yes. When when I first found Kink, I was working quite successfully as a cover band singer. So I was, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Adam Sandler's The Wedding Singer. Yes. yes. That was me. I was him. So I was doing weddings, corporate parties, Disneyland, casinos in Vegas, wherever I could find me and my performers. I booked singers and musicians who all know about this, by the way, and they all think it's hilarious. I love but it. Some of them make fun I wanna of me. I want to hire you to do my birthday. <laughs> I'm a really good yes! wedding singer. I'm a yes! really good wedding coordinator. Um, I, I actually do coordinating over at Borders where they have Bar Sinister. So like, yeah, I, Wait, I was totally selfish, but I'm obsessed with 80s and obsessed with bondage. And so if I can have an 80s bondage birthday party, there you that, go. Is, that, is, that is Nicoletta's dream I know plenty party. of 80s bands or DJs. Stay you know, tuned we can for June. Yeah, yeah. And I'll be your coordinator running off the clipboard going, okay, it's time for the toast or it's time, time for, for the spanking. Or it's time for the spanking, you know, so time good. for Billy Idol. <laughs> exactly. So I was making a lot of money every year doing that for a good 15 years. That okay. was my adult job was event coordinating and singing in bands. And so then when did you stop doing that? Or do you still? No, I, I'll do it. I do like maybe three gigs a year if they're really good money and I can cast my favorite musicians and singers that I know. Mm-hmm. And they all we all like reunion. It's a really great time. Oh. But basically, I stopped doing it probably around 2015. Like I just decided the Hudson thing was becoming so known and I was so burned out on singing cover tunes. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of let this phase out. And a lot of the musicians and singers that worked for me a lot were already working for a lot of people I know. So they they were going to be fine. You know, I kind of felt like Mama Bear. I, I was worried about everybody, you know, starving. But the thing is, like, the, the uh, cover band community is very close-knit, just like the BDSM community. So mm-hmm. everybody was going to be fine. You know, so I just kind of slowly exited the room and let Hudsey take over. So at the beginning or earlier in the in the podcast, you mentioned how you kind of credit Fifty Shades to this like professional success and like how or not necessarily the professional success, but like the awareness and the, like, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I 
a lot of people have mixed feelings about the book and the movie, especially people in the lifestyle are very upset by some of the inaccuracies. Mm -hmm. Um, What are like, what's the biggest one that you'd like to clear up right now from the get-go? Well, I mean, there's, depending on who you ask, it's a different answer. My answer would, like, for example, Christian Grey is a gorgeous 28-year-old billionaire, okay? Where are those people? Now, he is obsessed with with a quirky... A smart-ass masochist virgin. And he has no other girlfriends. A lot of the hot male doms I know have a stable of girls. Stable. And if they're billionaires, I mean, it's even more. You know, so so that that's a hilarious little inaccuracy right there. But (laughs) I think the thing that bothered me the most about the story. But that's what makes it fantasy, is it? But see, but BDSM is the sexy co-star in her book and film. It's um, E.L. James. Is that her? Yeah, that's her name. Her her book and now her films are— Originally Ice Dragon uh, Snow Queen. Or right. Snow Queen's Ice Dragon was her screen name. Love it. Wow. That's how they were originally published. Well, the, but the reason those books did so well is because of the kinky co-star, which is BDSM. Right. Other than that, it's just another Harlequin romance. With you know? terrible, terrible writing. <laughs> well, like, you can tell well, that what? she right-clicked synonym for quiet, like, all of the time. Well, the thing about, the thing about those characters is it's set in modern day, and they're both in their 20s. But you can hear the author's uh, 40, 50-something phrases and vocabulary, Mm -hmm. like uh, holy cow, the bee's knees, you know, like these phrases that my parents used and and that I used when I was a young adult. So it's it's interesting to see those differences. Yeah, but Um, she also fucks up her sports metaphors. She confuses gymnastics and ice skating. Everybody's too busy getting off to notice, you know what I mean? But but what I was going to say about the thing I didn't like about the story was— I thought it. I think it's been a gift to the BDSM world because it allows us an open door to mm. come through and share. So I will give her credit for that. And a lot of people hate me for saying that, but if it wasn't for the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise, a lot of us wouldn't have a voice right now that people are willing to listen to. Oh, I'm so on the same page. Kudos to that. And then, but I will say what I what I don't like about the storyline is that Christian Grey is the submissive of an older woman, and they portray him as this tragic masochist who becomes a dom and is abused by his femdom. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, a lot of people that that are abused as children don't end up being these tragic abused adults. You know, and I, I think I know a lot of men who had a similar background where maybe they were with an older woman and it turned into something better for them in the long run. I don't necessarily think that's an evil thing. I think each instance is different. It's mm-hmm. pathological. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of a weird it's a thing. Sickness, which there really know? has been like a, de- as in the article, like there's been this like strive to demedicalize, mm-hmm. you know, an, an interest in BDSM because it was originally like deviant and mm-hmm. then it was reduced to like a, dis- a sexual disorder. And now they're absolutely saying that it is not. Well, it is, it is still in the DSM. Um, right. As okay. a, the diagnostic statistic manual. Right. But one of the criteria is that it has to you know, get in the way basically of your life and cause distress. Right. Mm-hmm. So as long as it's not causing distress, which I think can be distress so subjective. Distress or non-consensual behavior. Exactly. Drafts of the forthcoming DS- DSM emphasize that paraphilias, a broad term that includes SM interests, are not ipso facto psychiatric disorders. Thanks, APA, for saying it's not <laughs> necessarily a disorder. It could be, but it's not It has to cause distress is well, what they say. Well, let's say you have someone who, who likes to cut themselves, right? then that's not good. And then mm. they meet a dom, whether it's a male or female dom, who actually helps them stop cutting. Like Secretary was a beautiful film oh, example Secretary. of a healing relationship where two kinky people found each other and healed each other. And they stayed kinky. 
Like in, in the um, DVD, in the special outtakes, they talk about the writers saying people were going, okay, and at the end she's, she's going to be healed, right? He's like, no. The point is that these two quirky people found each other mm. and made their kinks work together, and that's why they're happy. So in that's a healing, my point. empowering yeah. way. Yeah, they, they saved each other it. by like two puzzle pieces that fit, yeah. you know? And that's why, I mean, if you're listening and you feel like you're having these kinks or you're figuring out how to navigate them in a healthy way, find a kink-informed therapist like myself or there's a, it depends where you live. You're always welcome to email us at Sluts and Scholars to get some referrals, but find a way to work through that and use it as an empowering way to inform your life, like Hudsey's story or what we were talking about in Mm -hmm. Secretary, the movie, um, so that you can do it safely, but also embrace the things that make you, you. I think it's so interesting though that you bring up the importance of a kink-informed therapist. And I don't, I can't personally speak to this, but I have heard, or definitely in the article, it talked about how there's some sort of, in the kink community, people encourage others to find specific therapists because uh, your therapist notes can be subpoenaed in like custody battles mm-hmm. and things like that. And your kinky lifestyle can be used against you. It's uh, very court, true. It is true. Which I is had like a friend a who, um, someone I knew that was interested in cross-dressing um, and had a divorce and lost custody and pretty much all rights to his child because of these desires. Wow. I wasn't, so you know, I wasn't harming anyone. It was just a, a kink, a fetish, whatever I mean, you want to call it. what would be taken away from us if people could see what we look at on our phone every day. Yeah. I mean, you oh, know, it's some fucked yeah. up oh, shit. God. Oh, gosh. <laughs> there are websites, you know, out there There's that are people really <laughs> crazy and, and they exist because people look at them. Yeah, you know, exactly. These are parents, you know, and it's horrible that there's a discrimination with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hope that by things like Fifty Shades of Grey coming out that it opens the door for people to start accepting these kinds of fantasies and seeing that it's just an exploration as long as it's safe, sane, and consensual with your partner, yeah. why is it a problem? Well, 65% of Canadian university students have fantasies of being tied up and 62% have fantasies of tying up a partner. So it's really an all kind of And one of the biggest directions. requests after I you know, interviewed Rucifer, but also in the research is that you know, rape and force fantasies, at least for women, are the most common fantasy. Wow. Right. right. Well, yeah, wow. because it's something that you're... You don't really want in real life, but if you can negotiate it and have fun, because we love being the damsels in distress. Yeah, and you're in power you know? still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're the sub, you know, creating this, this scene, and it's your, you're the one who's in power, like you said. That's why it's okay, because you talked about it. It God. didn't just happen to you. <laughs> I feel like I'm learning so much, and it makes sense, because you are a kink educator, an educator. <laughs> so I'd love, to lo- I'd love to know more about how uh, BDSM education works and how you identify as a teacher within Stockroom University or other ways that you teach classes. Yeah, because um, not um, everyone you find who's into BDSM is an effective teacher. Right. It's. I mean, it's funny. I don't really know like why I started teaching. I mean, I know what happened. I was doing a lot of shows and I was offered a job at the Stockroom. What as, kind of show? Like a BDSM show? I was doing... Like, I like to do performance art pieces where, like, for example, I'm a singer. So instead of doing cover music, well, instead of doing cover band gigs, I actually do things like take Jessica Rabbit and I sing that song and then Roger Rabbit comes out and I sit on top of him and I cut vegetables on a cutting board in front of him doing edge play with a knife and then I squeeze tomatoes and explode them onto both of us and that's Jessica and Roger being naughty. That's just <sighs> one thing I'm I've like done. a little bit turned on. You're so cool. Yeah. Like, that, so I would have thought vegetables would be so exciting to right. me. Yeah, and then I, you, know, I feed him. We already talked about vegetables in our masturbation episode. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I, feel like feed him I guess I really like vegetables. Yeah, but see, you can find fun. That's like food play 
play scene with edge play mixed in with the knife. Edge play is yeah. for— Well, because I'm cutting with a butcher knife uh-huh. on a cutting board just sitting on his chest. What does edge play mean? Oh, edge play is, is a type of BDSM scene where you're doing things, say, that are more risky. They require a lot more negotiation. They can trigger you emotionally or physically, like— Knife blood, play, needles, blood, race play. medical needles, yeah, race play. Um, anything where you're taking a bigger risk that you really need proper training for it. Fire play. You know, these are things you can't just pick up. You actually have to go to classes and study and mentor for quite a while. You are such a good teacher. Okay, so how did you start teaching? So, like, because she's a good teacher. Okay, so what was yeah, the first so I was class performing and who showed up? Well, what happened was the stockroom offered me the role of the dean of education or the headmistress in charge of booking, curating educators and events. So I've always been really good at handling talent because of my cover band, my cover band background was managing talent. Mm -hmm. So I was, it just segued right into it really nicely for me. So I already knew a lot of the educators because I was in the community for so long. So I find educators through people I know or people that know people I know and so on. And I'll book like every Saturday, there'll be a different class, a different theme. It's not always BDSM. Sometimes it's something just around the sex positive arena. Like uh, this Saturday, we're doing one on oral sex. And the following is pegging class. <gasps> after th- Yeah. After that, the <laughs> one I'm doing about touching on yourself, using your body as your toy bag. Uh, we've got, we do polyamorous panels. We do all kinds of things. Oh, this so, is so, and do you teach all of these classes or you, no, no, you I, book I the teach, educators? Well, I teach elsewhere often, but since I'm the headmistress in charge of education at Stockroom, I don't book myself too often because I don't want to be unfair. Mm-hmm. I'll do it once a quarter mm-hmm. or something like that. But yeah, I, I book elsewhere, like out of my home dungeon. You know, I travel and teach. You know, I do little goddess parties where I invite people over and I teach women how to be femdoms, uh, all kinds of fun things. And yeah. so if I were, if I, so let's say I wanted to go to a class. I've never been to a BDSM class. I don't really know much about mm-hmm. the whole BDSM lifestyle. Like, what would I expect? Why haven't you gone with more to more classes I was supposed to go. I was supposed to go to one of Hadzi's classes uh, this weekend, but I had a self-defense class instead. <laughs> Could have Pretty been a BDSM class. Yeah. 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 It was a super cool, like, kink fest. It was like uh, kink fit. It was like CrossFit, but like different oh, kink yeah, stations. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I so wanted to go. Um, but but instead you were doing like right. but so I'm just karate. Like, I was, yeah, I was like learning how to like fend off people. People. I was very interesting. But anyway, do you, do novices come? Can novices oh, come? Oh, yeah. And you know like, what makes me how happy? How do people get—how do people show up? Like, what should they expect? So we have—you know, we have links on Facebook, Twitter, FetLife, Stockroom.com. Basically, people see ads or online social media posts. They come in. The classes at Stockroom are anywhere from $10 to $50. And then all those educators also do all their own classes for more money elsewhere on their own, whatever. But you come in— you sit down, there's a bunch of chairs. Depending on the way the instructor wants the room set up, that's how it goes. And you can sit and observe, and sometimes it's interactive, but no one is pressured to do anything they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it'll be a lecture, or it'll there'll be like a live demo. Um, one time we had Midori, world-famous Midori, uh, writer. Um, she's amazing. She's she yeah, Midori she's, is a person? Midori is like probably one of the most famous educators in the BDSM community. Oh, okay. And we have her coming in. One time we had her come in and do a flogging class, and I took a photo from behind of 80 people <gasps> with floggers in the air. It looked like a bunch of helicopters. Oh, That's I love awesome. That. And that she's also a world renowned uh, Shibari artist and teacher. So she and Shibari is a Japanese Japanese rope bondage. Rope bondage right. style. She knows all of the styles of rope, but that's one she's particularly fond of. Wow. And she has several books published on it. Uh, so people will bring a couple pieces of rope and learn from her at class. 
So cool. Yeah. I mean, anything you can think up, we've probably done. Uh, if it's somehow educational, and we've even had like uh, animal play class. What's that? Uh, it's I used to have a thing for it. I had a partner where well, that's I was what we were a talking dog. about with the dog bowls and. Oh, the, so yeah. you are. Well, no, I or not. You never, are the animal, but not bestiality is what you meant. No, I just want to make sure that, that wasn't god, that. No, oh god, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, let's clarify that. Yeah, animal play is about where the human is role playing as an animal, and you could be oh, any animal. Yeah, I, I knew yeah. a guy who who was super into puppy play. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I was too for a time. I had a partner who loved me being Sparkles the dog, and I never sexualized it. I would just put on the uh, stockroom canine gear. It was yeah, like a, nose, like a leather mask and, that and looks like, like a dog. Yeah, and I would run around the house, and I always had like. I usually wear like all black or something neutral. And I didn't want... <laughs> something neutral. Yeah, something neutral. I didn't want to be naked. Just a bunch of leather, but neutral. Yeah, well, because I'm very curvy. I didn't want to be like a sexualized object. I wanted to be a sweet, loving, adoring dog. And what's weird about that is that I'm actually a Chinese Zodiac dog. Ooh, so you that. are a dog. I am a dog. What? I'm looking for my pack master. You know, I'm, I want my pack. And I would run up to my master and I would eat. Like one time he made me spaghetti and I ate it with my face and then it was all over my face and we were both laughing. You know, and then when it's over, I like to be like Andy Kaufman was when he was uh, Tony Clifton. And I go into the closet and I shut the door and I take all my stuff off and I become Brooke, a.k.a. Hudsey again. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was a very spiritual, connected thing I did with my partner. But I was really a dog. I was not a sex dog. There was no bestiality to it. It was just a pure way of loving him almost like a little child would. And that's, you know? I think, for people listening to, there are some people who sexualize it, and mm-hmm. there's so yeah. many varieties. wrong with it as long as you're a really a consenting human. But I think it's so interesting that this is just a way to, like, I don't know, like, we think of, like, or I, as someone who's, like, not super in the lifestyle or space or whatever, thinks of BDSM as, like, very much, like, specific, like, leather, floggers, blah, blah, But there's, like— the, the thing I always notice the most about clients or play partners is they are escaping themselves for a moment— and they learn so much about themselves and how they are in the world just by the role play. And so if you did do puppy play or whatever animal called to you, mm-hmm. you know, there's something really freeing about letting go of that control. It just does something to you. Yeah, and embracing you know? these other darker, not in a negative way, but like shadow parts of yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I see it as anyone who's into BDSM is just someone who likes like communication and yeah. exploration. Yeah. It forces yeah, you to com- that's communicate. That's really good. That's, yeah, it does. A lot of people could look could stand to learn a lot about sex communication. Um, what you're, you've been so open about with us and like in your life about who you are and and what you do and what you like. I'm curious. It's really refreshing. You, it's so refreshing. Oh, but thanks. I'm, I just can't imagine not being that way and being into this. But it I think go you're together. truly like paving the path for people who might not feel as comfortable. And so I'm just curious if you have ever experienced uh, sensations of discrimination or just like being stigmatized because you're such a vocal public. Uh, figure for 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 the space yeah and I mean, that's yes. as a woman or as a switch or just your role yeah. in bdsm community i mean the community's been nothing but great i'm kind of like the i always joke that i'm BD, the bdsm sweetheart because i'm very sweet and i don't take the dom role too seriously i don't have ten thousand slaves you know although more <laughs> not power like those 20 year old billionaires right exactly <laughs> but i mean i think I I did face some discrimination and prejudice because mostly with vanilla friends and family who didn't understand what I was doing. And I do know that Brooke is kind of gone. I'm Brooke. You know, Hudsey's my stage name. But I do feel like the things that Brooke was to them is gone. You know, the singer, the, uh, you know, the tap dancer on stage. I, I now have a different kind of stage. 
I still sing, but I do it in a weird, wacky way, you know, that is not mainstream. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have felt some disappointment in me, you know, uh, but it's not like we're enemies with the people that feel this way. They just are concerned. You know, they don't really understand it. And to me, it's just given me healing about how to connect with people. Here's here's what I did notice. If I invite a friend from my past, uh, when I was just Brooke, Vanilla Brooke, to a party at my house or a dinner or a club I might go to, they automatically assume I'm inviting them to a sex party. Mm-hmm. And, wow. Yeah, and I'm not, you know, because everything to me is— Safe, sane, consensual. So if You're not I was just inviting be like a van- sex party, no. If I was inviting a vanilla friend to a dungeon or a BDSM party, I would tell them, and I would only invite the friend that I think is curious. But I would give full disclosure, you know. But I think a lot of my friends from my past think that I'm just one thing, and that's hard, mm-hmm. you know, because I can't be this without having been that. Yeah, you know. Well, I know you've mentioned a lot of, and this is the last question that we have time for today, but. Um, that people have expressed concern about like, are you okay? Or what this means. And and I've had a lot of clients or people I've talked to and work with, I think especially women who identify as submissives mm-hmm. about how to balance being a feminist or a quote unquote strong woman, strong woman and having trouble accepting their desires and their role as a submissive. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, as we know, I think being submissive, you actually have a lot of the power. Yeah. But what would you tell to to people who are having those concerns, like this well, feminist yeah, submissive you balance? You know what's great about that? There's a blessing in that. The blessing in outing yourself and saying what you want and risking someone not liking it is that you're weeding out the person that's not right for you anyway. Yes. So what I've noticed is I'm alone a lot more. I'm lonelier. And there's a little bit of uh, shame thrown at me at times. But if I can't tell someone I'm interested in within the first meeting that I'm a sex educator and that I've been a pro-dom and that I'm on the internet as Hudsi Han with all these links, if they're not okay with that, then I'm not okay with having them in my life. Mm -hmm. So I look at it like, yeah, it's hard, but you're weeding out people that don't deserve you. Mm -hmm. You know, if they can't accept you, you're going to accept them. You're obviously open-minded enough to accept someone else for their faults or their kinks or their stories that are, you know, hard to share. So I look at it as a blessing. But what about it in the paradigm of, like, self-acceptance? Like, reconciling being a feminist feminist with being a submissive? Because, you know, at first glance, obviously it's not true that they're Mm -hmm. mutually exclusive, but Mm -hmm. I can definitely see, like, how that would be— challenging. I don't know. And you so know, how do you go on that path to self, not, not acceptance of others, but acceptance of yourself? Well, I mean, I've seen men who are male submissives who do sessions with pro-doms who mm. they struggle because they're these big wig, you know, uh, CEOs and, but all they really want to do is be submissive. Mm-hmm. And so there's, and for men, it's even harder because of the right. stigma of being the big man, you know, so being masculine. So I think it just takes actually focusing on the fact that this is who you are. There's nothing wrong with it. And like I said, the submissive has the power. Mm. You're actually offering something to someone else. So you are powerful. But the word submissive, we make it seem so small and, you know, weak and shy and all these little things. And it's not true at all. Because when I've worked with men who are submissive, I am so in awe of a guy who wants to pull on a pair of thigh highs or a guy who wants to put on makeup who still identifies as, let's say, a straight man, for example, because he is being braver than any man I've ever met in that moment yeah. because there's such a stigma. So 
I may see a man dressed in heels and, you know, thigh highs and a dress and a wig and makeup. And I might see a, a man who's dressed as a woman, but he is so brave and masculine in that moment. You know, that's, that's such a contradiction, but it's so accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think people just need to take things like Fifty Shades of Grey and see it as a beacon of hope. Mm-hmm. You know, there's have you seen the sequel? Uh, no. I haven't watched it yet, but I've read all the books. Well, there's a wonderful moment. I actually preferred the sequel where he gets the down on his knees said and no he puts, one ever. He gets down on his knees and spoiler alert, he puts his palms up on his thighs and is basically doing a slave position to his girlfriend. And I was floored by that moment. Like, that was one of the things the author got right about the scene. You know, like, he's doing this slave position in a way of telling her, I am yours. I will do whatever you want if you will just stay with me. It was beautiful. I like that because it it really—you do say that, like, if you are submissive, then you hold the power to give it to someone. And just Mm -hmm. because you can give it to someone doesn't mean you are going to give it to everyone or give it to someone just because they ask or because they're a dom. I think that's, like, a very interesting thing to think about. The trick to knowing—the difference is— you give it to yourself and then mm-hmm. you don't give it to the crazy guy on Craigslist. You know, mm. you give it to yourself and then you Unless see you want who's, to. who's worthy of it. You don't just go into a sub frenzy and give it out to everybody. You yeah. know, take your time, but work with you first. Well, we have had such a blast getting to talk to you and hanging hey. out with you. Thanks for having and me. Oh my gosh, we need to have you back. Yeah, we would love <laughs> to have so you much back. To talk about. And I want to have you at my birthday doing an amazing <laughs> 80s bondage celebration. Yes. So stay tuned for that. And we look forward to um, our next guest next week is actually a breast specialist. And she will be talking about um, the kind of work that she does. She's a doctor here in Beverly Hills. And we look forward to having her. But we were so happy to have you today, Hudsey, and to talk about BDSM. And feel free to email us at slutsandscholars at Gmail if you have uh, topics that you'd really like to see or if you have any questions for us or if you'd like to get connected with some of the work that Hudsey does. That's Nicoletta. I'm Samantha. And if you really like what we do, make sure to subscribe to Sluts and Scholars and we can keep putting out more great episodes for y'all. Well, if anyone's looking for me, they can go to hudsyhan.com, H-U-D-S-Y-H-A-W-N.com. And that same name is Twitter, Facebook, FetLife, everywhere. I'm easy to find. I'm kind of out. <laughs> it's amazing how out you are. It's, it's <laughs> inspiring. So thank, thank you so much. You so much. You're us. amazing. And now we're going to pop some champagne Yay. that Hudsy brought. Woo! Oh,